and welcome to the Colorful Plates podcast. I am your host, Stephen Medina. Thank you for joining us this week of September 17th, 2018. Let's get to it. On this week's episode, we take a closer look at pineapples. Brian Denton wraps up his local school program segment on making the cut. And as always, we take a look at what's going on in the produce industry that you need to know. In our first segment, Produce Pro Tips, I got the chance to jump on the phone with Brennan Neff from Dole to talk a little bit about pineapples. Brennan, tell me a little bit about what it takes to make a great pineapple. Well, to grow a great pineapple, it takes several factors. I think it all starts with an experienced and knowledgeable production team in our growing areas. The vast majority of our pineapple are grown in Costa Rica, and I would say we have one of the most knowledgeable and experienced production teams in the world. They have to know the conditions where they're growing, what changes need to be made based on different growing conditions, weather factors, etc. And so it all starts there. Obviously, you also need to have farms in optimal growing areas. Usually, volcanic soils are are fantastic for pineapple. We like to grow them in the foothills where it's kind of a rolling hill terrain where you have a lot of drainage for the roots and so forth so that you don't have a lot of water buildup. And then obviously post-harvest, how you treat the fruit after it's been harvested is a key to uh, having high-quality pineapple arrive up in the United States. That includes cleaning the fruit, getting it cooled down, making sure it has a protective wax coating that's a food-grade wax, getting it packed in a box where it's, it's packed firmly into a box but not to the point where it's packed too firmly where there's going to be bruising or too loose where it's going to be rolling around. And then controlling the temperature from the tropics in a controlled temperatured container all the way up into the U.S. aboard one of Dole's northbound vessels. Yeah, it sounds like from what you're telling me is that this just can't be anybody that can do the work, but it has to be somebody who's been trained and knows exactly uh, what they need to do in order to make this this possible. It's not as, uh, I don't know if easy is the right word, but it definitely isn't as simple as potentially some other commodities. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. There are uh, a lot of very experienced, knowledgeable, and highly educated people that go into our production teams. Our pest management and uh, fertilization practices are very integrated and they change based on growing conditions different times of the year. Rainfall plays a factor, pests during different times of the year. Sometimes in the spring, obviously, there's a lot of insects. Ensuring that we have the highest quality product takes a lot of people with a lot of different uh, backgrounds, you know, and and a lot of experience in doing that. I know you touched on this a little bit when you talked about harvesting. Talk to me about the ripening process. I know from a recent video from the Source Live that uh, you guys talked about how once it's cut, it's kind of done. That's there's no more ripening that happens. That's what you get. When when pineapple are grown, what happens is during the growing cycle, they wait till there's a certain weight of the plant, average throughout a block. When they get to that desired weight, then the production team makes the decision to force the plants to flower. And when the plants flower all at the same time, that helps ensure that we get uniformity in size and ripeness. Once it flowers, the fruit starts to grow. And as that fruit grows, they're constantly monitoring it. And once it gets to a certain maturity level, they start measuring the bricks level or sugar level within each piece of fruit. Once they get to an average bricks level that's desirable for harvest, and usually a dull pineapple, we like to harvest somewhere between 12 and 15 is a perfect bricks for a pineapple. And then they go in and harvest the fruit. The uniformity piece, I think, is one of the things that stuck out to me. When you talk about kind of forcing the flowering, um, what does that look like? To, To force the flowering in a field, what happens is, again, the plants are all at a desirable weight. 
then for each plant, they go through and they apply ethylene, which is a natural occurring gas, and they apply it onto the plants, which shocks the plants and forces them to flower. By having all the plants flower at the exact same time, that helps ensure that there's uniformity in the size and maturity of the fruit when it is time to harvest. So if a pineapple was either picked too early or doesn't have that higher bricks level, that that's going to be how it is. There's no, there's no real changing that for that pineapple. There's no ripening on the shelf. Correct. After a pineapple has been harvested, it, it will not mature any further. So the common misconception is, you know, pick a pineapple out at the grocery store or out of a box and let it sit on the counter for a while to ripen up. And that's just not true. It, the, the, the sugar levels and the maturity of the fruit internally will not increase. And really what you're doing is letting that pineapple start to decay the longer you wait. So the best thing to do is once you have a pineapple that you've decided to pick, you want to pick that and then eat it right away. That's great. Clearing up some of those common misconceptions about produce is something that we want to continue to do is just try to bring these little tips and tricks to to light for people that are either dealing with produce every day uh, in a kitchen setting or potentially just at at home. Uh, The last piece I, I know we wanted to touch on is, you know, it sounds like from what you're saying is from start to to harvest, there's a, a lot that goes into that to make sure we're getting the best possible pineapple. But from there, you guys kind of have a, a second set of hurdles to get through, and that's getting it back to the States. Uh, walk me through a little bit what it looks like to get it from, from Costa Rica and some of the other growing regions into the U.S. When Dole harvests pineapple, they go into our packing sheds, and, and they're all packed according to size and then palletized. They're uh, immediately from there brought into cold rooms where, again, we're trying to take the field heat out of the fruit to maximize the quality for its travel up to North America. So it sits in a cold room for a day or two, and then it's trucked over, still in a controlled temperature container over. It's loaded into a temperature-controlled container at our farms, and that container is taken from the farm directly to our vessel, loaded on the vessel, and sent northbound on dole vessels to either the west coast the central coast or the east coast. Dole operates five ports across the United States to ensure that we kind of have a logistical setup that will enable us to maximize our, our logistics in North America. The voyage northbound can be anywhere from seven days from Costa Rica down to like two or three days or into the Gulf Coast, uh, Mississippi or Texas. So they're all brought in on temperature-controlled containers, and those containers aren't opened again until they're at the customer's door to one of our forward warehouses. Wow, that's really incredible. I don't think we always think about how produce necessarily ends up on our shelves or on the back door of our kitchen. Um, And the transportation of pineapples is a feat in and of itself uh, for that to even end up in our country. So it's just really amazing how that happens. Vernon, this has been super eye-opening. Thank you so much for sharing uh, all this information about pineapples with us. Yeah, if if there's one message I could convey to everyone, it would be... please. The main thing is when you have a pineapple, any pineapple that's brought up here should have been harvested at the peak of ripeness, and it should be ready to eat. And trying to uh, let it sit around and and get more ripe is just not not a good not a good solution what what needs to happen is once you have a pineapple you want to cut it up and eat it immediately Brennan this has been really insightful super helpful to kind of see the journey it takes from uh, from field to fork to get a pineapple stateside that's really great thank you so much for taking the time and we really appreciate it you bet appreciate it thanks a lot let's turn to our next segment making the cut where Brian Denton got a chance to sit down with Jacob Smith from HMC Farms 
Yeah, Stephen, HMZ Farms is based out of Kingsburg, California, where they trace their roots back to 1887. They've long been heralded as an innovator uh, when it comes to grape growing and packaging, especially for K-12 schools. And uh, it was great to have Jacob in the office. Our, our interview started with him sharing some of the limitations that public schools often face. One of the issues that you're going to hear uh, in the education sector, which is, I mean, what you're going to hear in, in any sector now is labor. Uh, as labor costs go up, um, having to prep items that tend to already be expensive, um, it can be a huge issue. Um, I think that getting getting produce into uh, maybe a format that is easy for kids to handle and easy for kids to eat um, is also a challenge. Um, some of the research that's been done has shown that uh, really one of the biggest ways to boost consumption of any food, whether it be produce or, you know, any snack, um, is really having it, offering it a convenient format because kid walks into a lunchroom, they sit down, they want, they kind of tend to want to get in and out as quick as possible. They've got their eye on the playground, you know? Um, so you hear that, uh, you hear the, the statement that, you know, a lot of schools actually look at doing recess first before lunch, which is an interesting uh, you know, just to kind of mix that up so that, hey, playtime's over and you're going to have a half hour, whether you want to sit here and do nothing or eat, you know, it's kind of your choice. But I think offering um, offering produce in more convenient formats really will help boost consumption. So a, a product like a watermelon that, that kids seem to enjoy is not being served on a more re- readily basis because it's labor intensive, for example. And, and that's not all schools everywhere. That's just say, hey, we're gonna if we're gonna spend our money someplace, we're gonna spend our money in a way that it goes further and it's easier and it's simpler to serve. Yeah, I mean that's definitely a factor. That's so, definitely a factor. Um, and then and also looking at you know the the formats that are offered to kids uh, with produce versus other food items. Um, you know, it has to be something that's a recognizable format to those students. Sure. So uh, why grapes? How are grapes working when it comes to K through 12 schools? Sure. I, I think, um, I, I think the first and, you know, first and foremost, kids love grapes. Um, we, with a lot of the people that we work with that serve multiple fruit options, uh, grapes tend to get chosen, you know, two to one over a lot of the other fruit items. Um, and so I think having, having an item that reduces plate waste um, so there's less food going in the trash at the end of a lunch, uh, lunch service, uh, increases participation. So, you know, kids are actively choosing They're to consuming put more, it. right. Um, if you can get, if you can put out an item that kids are choosing to eat more of and less of it's getting thrown away, you know, from the operator standpoint or from the school standpoint, that's, that's a big success. Excellent. And for HMC Farms, you guys are doing a lot to innovate when it comes to how you bring grapes to K through 12 schools. Unpack that for me. What does that look like? Sure. Um, so, I mean, really, our kind of foray into school food service started in 1979 uh, when we introduced the Lunch Bunch grape, which is, uh, some some listeners may know that a two to four ounce cluster um, that we pack in the field uh, that's brought in and it's ready to wash and serve and put on a lunch tray. Um, and really, that just came about naturally by, uh, you know, walking through the vineyard, seeing these two to four, you know, these smaller clusters of, of grape bunches left on the vines um, and realizing we could utilize those uh, for school lunches. It's, it's kind of a perfect serving for that. Um, and then, you know, 
20 years later, I think one of the things that we heard from the schools was um, it's getting difficult for us to have to bring grapes in. It's a hard item to wash, to take off the stem, um, and to have food safe and ready to serve to our students. Um, And so that's when we really started to take a look at, okay, how do we make, how do we take grapes, an item that we know kids love to eat? Um, How do we take that and make it easier to serve for the schools? Um, And so that's when we started taking the grapes off the stem, washing them, uh, and packaging them in uh, individual single-serve bags. Stephen, I was able to talk to Jacob for another 10 minutes, and you can find that as a separate episode of this podcast dropping this coming Wednesday. He also shared some of the responses they're getting on those uh, individual single-serve packaging and, and how the USDA's fresh fruit and vegetable program has given opportunity for growers like HMC. It, it's great to see growers finding ways to increase consumption with K-12 through students. It's not just about what ends up on the menu, but what ends up on the plate and eventually is part of that wholesome meal for students. Growers are looking to replace that mushy piece of fruit from yesteryear with a compelling, nutritious option that students are clamoring for. So Stephen, making the cut is schools, distributors, and growers coming together to bring great fruits and vegetables to students throughout the school year. As always, Brian, thank you. That was great. And it's a good way to wrap up our three-week series on local schools and food service. And to wrap us up today, we are jumping in the field to talk a little bit about what's going on in the produce industry that matters to you. Up first, we do want to talk about Hurricane Florence and just the havoc that that is wreaking on the East Coast right now. We're not really sure what it's going to mean, um, but we definitely know there are a good amount of Uh, growing regions that are going to be affected because of the storms. So make sure you check back in with us next week as we get reports on what's going on there and how it's impacted the growing regions in the Southeast. And we have an update for you on citrus and oranges. We're still seeing low supply on the smaller oranges. There is a good supply on larger oranges, but quality is poor on all sizes and grades right now. And in some good news, although lemons are still struggling, we're getting reports that they should return to normal in the next two to three weeks. In other good news, we're still getting great reports on apples and pears, along with grapes and melons. So make sure to check those out because they are getting good reports of supply and quality. There's also been reports of new crop potatoes that are available that are at a great price and great quality as well. And coming out of the east, we're getting supply issue reports on cucumber, squash, and eggplant. Bell peppers coming out of the east right now have a steady supply and the market's pretty reasonable. Our sources feel like the next two weeks are going to be a struggle with the transition from the north down to the south. The Midwest and Northwest are winding down and quality is getting worse on most items daily. Now, Georgia is starting up in a light way on squash and eggplant and cucumbers will have some light supply starting next week. You can look to see bell peppers starting in late September, early October timeframe. On the West Coast, we're getting reports of lighter supplies of green bell peppers and squash. The cooler temperatures on the coast are slowing production and there's been a spike in the demand from the east. Some of the local crops across the country have had to deal with the disease and viruses from rains and high heat this summer. This has affected the quality of the fruit and has driven more customers out west. Pricing on green bell peppers and squash is going up. Uh, We're getting reports the cucumber market out west remains very active, just meaning that there's not very much product and that prices are still extremely high. We're getting reports of steady eggplant production, but pricing is remaining high. The hot pepper markets are strong and product is lighter and demand is steady. Currently, the supplies of watermelons in California are low, but Mexican watermelons are available in Nogales and McAllen, Texas. And that has been a look in the field. That's going to do it for us. This has been the Colorful Plates podcast. We want to thank everyone who made this podcast possible. A huge thank you to Brennan Neff from Dole and Jacob Smith from HMC Farms for sitting down with us this week. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to check out colorfulplates.co, our sister website, where all this information we talk about is available to you. Tips, tricks, 
inspiration, education, all the good stuff, colorfulplates.co. Check it out. And if you haven't done so already, do yourself the favor, click that subscribe button, stay in touch with what's going on in the produce industry and how that may impact you. Well, this has been a borderline thrill for me. I hope you enjoyed it as well. This is Stephen Medina signing off, and as always, stay fresh. Stay fresh.